Well, welcome to Okon AV. My name is Rowan. I'm one of the pastors here. Well, if you're watching this, you've made it. The rush to Christmas is over. No doubt you've had family parties or maybe work parties, uni parties. There might be one or two more parties to come for you, some of those stragglers of Christmas. In fact, you might be watching this with your family or friends now. If that's you, special shout out to those who are watching with you and to you for gathering together around the word this Boxing Day. Well, I really hope today is worthwhile. See, Christmas is such a great time of celebration. Celebration of family and friends, of gifts and food, a time to celebrate Jesus. He's the reason that we've got today off. And if you got to join us last Sunday, you would have seen he's the reason that you and I exist. He's the word, the voice, the one who brought us into being. The coming of God in the flesh, Christmas, is an event so large, so significant that it stops a large portion of the world in its tracks. Every year we we celebrate one man who came in human history. We get to reflect on his story and see that all of human history is really about his story. But I wonder, have you ever reflected on the significance of Jesus' second coming? The world stops to celebrate his first coming, but his promise to come again rarely raises a blip on the radar screens of our lives. Have you ever stopped to wonder if this was the effect of his first coming, (laughs) What will happen at his second coming? Now, for some of us, the second coming of Jesus seems as much a fairy tale as the fairy godmother and Captain Underpants, right? For others of us, we know Jesus promised to come back again, but it doesn't really have any effect on our plans and purposes and priorities. Once we get to settle into the post-Christmas food-induced coma, I'm sure many of us are already experiencing, we get time off from work, time to sit back, chill out and have a break. It's a great time to stop and think about the year to come, 2022. We've got no idea what it will hold, no idea what will happen. But what if we did? What if you could have confidence about the year to come or at least the future? How would that change what you do with your time and what priorities you have in life? If the last two years have taught us anything, it's that we can't know what the future holds, not immediately. But I want to put it to you. That just like the first coming of Jesus changed the world, the second coming of Jesus and what God has to say about it in his word is of even greater significance than the first coming of the Christ. And it provides incredible confidence about the future. Confidence you can stake your life on. Confidence that gives far greater purpose and meaning to life and what to do with it than any other idea or person or security or hope. See, If you could be confident that a decision that you are making now meant vast amounts of good would happen in the future, if you could be sure of the outcome of that decision and what it would bring would be a good outcome, then I'm pretty confident that even if there were costs involved in making that decision, you'd still do it, right? If you can be confident about the outcome, then decisions in life are easy. It's the uncertainty that causes so much decision fatigue. And the last two years have been killers in that. Cause us to kind of, what are we going to do? What does the future look like? It's so frustrating. But how can we be confident about the future? Well, humanly, there are a few ways we can gain confidence. Usually we gain confidence by our own experience, right? You're confident that a dog is friendly because it's always been friendly before. It's not going to bite my hand off. It's been great. And the same goes with with people. You know, they've always been friendly before. They haven't bitten my hand off before. I think they're probably going to be an okay person. You think about marriages and relationships. You build trust. You, You experience something in the past. So you might trust it more for the future. Now, it's not foolproof. 
but it's the best we can do with our experience. But when we haven't experienced something, another way we build confidence is through relying on authority. If we haven't experienced something ourselves, we need to rely on someone else's experience of them. Uh, We do it at the mechanic. Uh, We go and they tell us what's wrong and what needs to be done. And we usually, unless we're kind of a car person, we don't really know what's going on, but we kind of trust them. And because they've done it before and the car kept going, we trust their track record. And so we we treat them as as an authority. (laughs) And we think about the same sort of things, say, with the dentist. The dentist looks in your teeth and pokes around and takes this little shot and then says, look, this needs to be drilled out. I'm like, I don't think it needs to be drilled out. I don't want my teeth drilled out. But they're saying, no, that's the most important thing to do. And because they're wearing the white coat and they've got a thing on the wall and I've been there before, I actually trust them. That's actually the same with relationships. Even in marriage, we're dependent on the other person to truthfully express themselves and their view of us as well. When it comes to the thing in the future, things about life and death, why are we here and what we're here for? We can all take guesses of what the future holds, but we can't experience the answer. In the end, it's going to come down to who is the best authority on life. Uh, For many of us, we claim that authority for ourselves. We want to call the shots on what's important for us and what we do with our life. But here's the thing. When we make ourselves the authority, invariably, it it turns out we don't actually know the future. We don't know which decision will turn out to have good outcomes and which ones not so good outcomes. The claim of history and the claim of the Bible is that the God of the Bible, the God we meet in the person of Jesus, uh, in his first coming, the thing that we celebrate in Christmas, that person, Jesus, claims to be the authority, literally the author of life. Throughout human history, he has spoken. Throughout what the Old Testament in, in the Bible records, God promised he would send a king. In the book of Genesis, the first book of, of the Old Testament, 1400 years before Jesus, predicted that God's Savior would come from the tribe of Judah. The prophet Micah uh, predicted between the 7th century that that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, Micah 5 verse 2 says this, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. In the 7th century BC, Isaiah 40 verse 3 literally said one would come before Jesus at his first coming. Isaiah 40 says, a voice of one crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness, make straight highway for our God in the desert. And that's literally the words that John the Baptist said as he prepared the way for Jesus onto the world stage. Not to mention all the other things that have been promised and prophesied in the Old Testament, that Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, that he'd suffer and be rejected, that lots would be drawn for his clothing, that he'd be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, that he'd willingly die in our place. Isaiah literally says in in chapter 53, that he would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. All that over 500 years before Jesus stepped onto the face of the earth. How can we have confidence in the future? By listening to the one who through his word has said what would happen and it happened. Listening to the author of life. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not 10 steps to a better life. It's about history, real human history and the events in it. And the reason that we can trust God isn't because we've checked our brains at the door. It's because he's been faithful to his word. Just like the Bible told us with absolute clarity about the first coming of Jesus. So it gives us absolute clarity about what we need to know 
about the second coming of Jesus, that Jesus is coming back. God is the authority you and I need to hear as we think about the next year, as we think about what's coming up. Just like the mechanic and the dentist that we we trusted as the authority on our cars and cavities, their trustworthiness in the past is the indicator of their trustworthiness in the future. Well, so too the God who made you, who's spoken through his people and even more clearly in his son, Jesus. Well, Peter, who wrote that letter we, we just had read for us earlier, he knew Jesus. He's one of Jesus' closest friends. He saw Jesus. He saw what happened. He he heard what Jesus said. And he was convinced that Jesus had the full authority of God, that Jesus was God. And Peter paints for you and me, as, as we reflect on the year that was 2020, and as we look into the future of 2022, he reflects how we can live with confidence. We can live with confidence, Peter tells us, because Jesus is coming back. Have a listen to me. 2 Peter 3 verse 1. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I've written to you. In both letters, I want to stir up your sincere understanding by way of reminder so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Saviour given through your apostles. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires, saying, where is his coming that he promised? Ever since our ancestors fell asleep, all things continue as they have been since the beginning of creation. Here, Peter is convinced that just as Jesus came in his first coming, that he's going to come back again. And he's also convinced that people will laugh at that idea. That's what scoffing means. Where is this coming that he's promised? Where is where is Jesus? Peter's convinced from what he saw and heard of Jesus that what God had said previously through the Old Testament prophets that history won't just go on and on and on. It will just continue the way it has been. The second coming of Jesus brings an end, not because of some random cataclysmic event of some random chance asteroid hitting the earth and taking us out, but because of the purpose and intention of the true and living God. That's very different to the way that we think, isn't it? The Bible says that God determines the end just like he determined the beginning of the world. Malachi 4.1 said this, For look, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, when all the arrogant and everyone who commits wickedness will become stubble. The coming day will consume them, says the Lord of armies, not leaving them root or branches. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and playfully jump like calves from the stall. (laughs) The Bible tells us that the end is coming. Zephaniah says something similar. Zephaniah 1 verse 2, I'll completely sweep away everything from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. I'll sweep away people and animals. I'll sweep away the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea and the ruins along with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth. This is the Lord's declaration. There's a whole heap of the Old Testament and as you come to the New Testament as well in the book of Matthew about Jesus promising his return and what that will look like. And it's not the nicest news, but it's the news that was known at that point. People had heard this, that that the followers of God, that God's people had been saying God would come back and he would would punish the wicked. And for those that trusted in him, they would be forgiven. And so there was a call to trust him. And that's what Peter had been saying as the news of Jesus spread after Jesus' first coming and death and then resurrection. People since the death and resurrection of Jesus have been saying, so where's this coming? Scoffing. 
Peter was right. 2,000 years on, we scoff, don't we? There's just a little bit of us deep down for those who trust Jesus. And maybe if you don't trust Jesus, a lot more. Where we go, is this return actually happening? I mean, and if it is, does it actually mean anything for me? Well, the reason that we're tempted to think this way or that we think this way, it isn't because we're being rational, intelligent beings who've got a greater view of history. I think that's what we think. I think this way about the return of Jesus because, you know, it's a silly idea anyway. No, the reason we scoff and attempted to reject, Peter tells us, comes from a delusion within us. It has a root in a place that's different from what it appears. Look at chapter 3, verse 5 of 1 Peter, of 2 Peter, 3, verse 5. They deliberately overlook this, that by the word of God, the heavens came into being long ago and the earth was brought about from water through water. Through these, the world of the time perished when it was flooded. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are stored up for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. What Peter says is, we ignore everything I've just shown. You know how I went through those Old Testament books that prophesied what would happen with the birth of Jesus and with Jesus then saying he would would come back again and judge? My hunch is that when I was going through those, some of us kind of tuned out. We kind of went, ah, oh, yep, yep, this Old Testament stuff, stuff in the background. And it's not that it was wrong. We just don't really care about that sort of stuff because we think we've got a better view of the world. And what Peter says is we, we are deliberately overlooking the reality of history. And in verse three, that by rejecting this stuff that has been said, that has been proven that, that it was spoken and then it happened by rejecting that, we're following our own evil desires in verse three. Sometimes we play this deeply rational card, but we actually reject the historical evidence. We're being irrational. There is a reality that, well, for some of us, for many of us, we just don't want Jesus to come back. That reality, we think, oh, it doesn't really matter. I don't want this end to happen. And you can get a sense of why if everything will be judged. We're like, I don't like that. I don't think it's true. But that means that deep down inside, we're not actually going to look at the evidence. I want to encourage you as you reflect on the year to come, will you look at the evidence for Jesus? Will you think carefully about if this is true, what it means for the way that we live and how great our God is and the promise that he offers when Jesus comes back? Well, secondly, Peter tells us that people scoff because we fail to appreciate the word of God. He says long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and were formed. And by that same word, the fact that the the world exists, it tells us that God's word is trustworthy. The word that brought about creation, the voice we saw last week as we celebrated Christmas together, the one who made it all, that word that brought about creation will return. And Paul in the book of Romans tells us that that actually creation that was created through this word tells us something, that what can be known about God is evident amongst us because God has shown it to us. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what has been made. And as a result, people are without excuse. See, (laughs) The world that we live in is not ruled by the laws of science. I think we think that. 
Science is great. I love science. I studied science at university for a year. Science is the, the activity of observing phenomena and making conclusions about how those things will act in the future. And then we test those predictions. <laughs> you identify a regular pattern of things that are happening. And then you go, we think it's going to happen because it has happened in the past. It makes sense. It's kind of how we do relationships as well. But the law that we come up with doesn't actually make it happen. All things being equal without changes to the system, it'll probably happen the same way again as it, as it happened previously. Like, for instance, the law of gravity doesn't make things drop. It's not the law that does it, that, that, that things drop towards the earth in that way. It's simply a description of what happens in a regular way. The Bible tells us that the reason that the world is constant and regular is that the sovereign God of the universe is in control of it. And the reason that gravity is the way it is is because the God of the universe is saying, spin earth. And he's moving all the planets around. He is in control of it all and, and upholding it all. Now, we might identify the mechanics of the way he does it. But the only reason we can identify the pattern, the only reason we can do science is because God is so consistently upholding the universe until he decides to stop saying it. What 1 Peter is telling us and what the Old Testament has been saying is that an end will come and that end will come as Jesus comes back. As God speaks, it happens. His word is effective. He said the promised king, the Messiah would come. He said Christmas was ha would happen. And just as sure as Christmas happened, so too will Jesus return. We have to understand God's word. Look at the world. He spoke and it came into existence. He will speak and it will come to its end. Well, the third thing Peter gives is perspective. Peter's saying here, as we think about why Jesus hasn't returned yet and what is going on, he's saying we actually need to view it with God's perspective. Peter's saying it actually hasn't been very long. Now, back then, you kind of go, yeah, it hadn't been very long. You know, maybe 20, 30, 40 years. But today, 2,000 years, I mean, that feels like a long time. Well, that's all about perspective. Do you remember when you're in, you're in primary school and Christmas would take so long to come? It's like, oh, I'm waiting. And December would come and it was so slow. And you want to open up the advent calendar and you're like, oh, it's just taking so long. And then when you got older, when, you, when I've turned 40, I'm like, whoa, Christmas again? Where did that year go? Just blink of an eye. <laughs> well, to the God who has always existed from eternity to eternity, 2,000 years, it's like this. It's like, Poof. he's going 2,000 years. Man, it's just a blink of an eye. This is not long at all. But we're sitting here like this kind of primary school kid going, oh, this is ages. And it's frustrating. But there's a reason God is slow. He's being patient, gracious, generous, holding back his return to allow those who were scoffing, those who were saying, where are you, to come back to him. Have a look at verse 9 of chapter 3. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Jesus hasn't come back yet because he's giving more and more people time to recognize and accept Jesus' first coming. The second coming hasn't happened yet because he wants people to see the significance of the first coming and recognize how big it will be in the second coming. Peter tells us with authority and clarity about the future, about the second coming of Jesus. And it helps us recognize how we might think about what matters and the way that we live. Have a look at verse 10. 
the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, the heavens, the sky will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are dissolved in this way, it's clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and in godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten its coming. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. If you're convinced of the authority of the one speaking here, then you have clarity on what the future holds for the second coming of Jesus puts everything into perspective. What matters now is that we're connected with the God who made us, that we recognize that he will punish evil and injustice and that he's offered us a way through his son who's died in our place, that we can be saved from that judgment, that we can go through death to live with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth, dwelling where righteousness, right living is, where our God is. And if that's the case, we have this great joy now of living a life that's consistent with the truth of what he's done for us. The second coming helps us to recognize Jesus is the king and that we get to live in line with who he is and get to have that future as a reality that he is coming back. Just like he came the first time, his second coming is even more important. Not that we might be good enough for God, that we might try and, oh, I'm going to try and live your way so you'll be pleased with me. No, no, no because he's already saved us, because he laid down his life. He suffered the penalty for us. He took our iniquities on ourselves, just like Isaiah said in Isaiah 53, 6. But did you see, did you see the other thing he said that the second coming of Jesus means? Our response to the second coming of Jesus means we, we ought to want to hasten its coming. We want to speed the second coming of Jesus. How are we supposed to do that? How are we supposed to speed the second coming of Jesus? Well, it's by proclaiming the news of who Jesus is and what he has done to the world around us. I want you to understand why Jesus hasn't come back yet really, really clearly. The only reason Jesus has not returned in the second coming of Christ is so that more people might be saved. So that more people might move from death to life. God is being patient with us. What an amazing and loving God. It makes me ask the question, do you have the same heart for God? Do I have the same heart? as his heart. He's not saying, oh, I'm giving you time to build a more kind of fulfilling career and get a better car and a nice place to live and start a new relationship. None, none of that is the reason that he's waiting. Although so often that's what we think. Those of us who've been um, moved from death to life, who've trusted Jesus in the last six months, for you, you could be thanking God he didn't come back sooner. Right? That's amazing. It was so good that he was patient for you and for others like you. The Apostle Paul says that in this life, it's better to depart and be with Christ by far. Yet, while he's on earth, he will live as Christ to the world around. He'll point people to Jesus. He longs to see more people trust in Jesus. The thing that drives the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, to want to stay on earth isn't to get married and have kids or be able to see the grandkids grow up, but so that more people might recognize the author of life. To see that in his first coming, God stepped into the world died in our place, rose again, and that he is coming back again. We need to ensure that we don't get drawn into bucket list thinking. 
But as people, we don't go, I want to get through life and just tick off all these great experiences because life is about here and now. Our life right here and now is but a blink compared to eternity. No, the second coming of Jesus, the righting of wrongs, the punishment of all evil, the reality of a new heaven and a new earth, recognizing that means that what matters most, Peter says, is that while we live now, we are living according to God's way in godly and holy living that we might recognize that he is our dad and that that he made us and we want to live his way. That is life to its fullness. That has eternal significance. So as you think about how you live in 2022, what matters most, what matters desperately more than all your achievements is that we live lives in response to what God has done for us. We live lives that are pure and holy of eternal significance. We get to see what Peter says here, that we should be in holy conduct and godliness as we wait for the day of Jesus to come back. Don't carry grievances. Deal with the bitterness that's there. Um, you know, don't, don't, don't live as people that are just going living for the here and now, but strive to be people who are living for our God, looking forward to the day when Jesus returns and using all we have to love people and care for people now. Don't be drawn into apathy where the second coming of Jesus doesn't affect you. And one of the ways we can tell what really drives us as Christians is our prayer life. How are your prayers shaped? What what dominates the way that you pray? Will 2022 be a year that you keep thinking about um, the the things that are immediately in front of you, the, the, the troubles and concerns of life? And yes, we should be praying for those. But the thing that is literally holding up Jesus' return is God being patient, giving people more time to come to him. We be praying for those that don't know Jesus. Will you if, you, if you don't know Jesus, will you see how much God is saying, come and trust me. Hear his word today. Come to him. We can also think about the way we treat God's word. The way we listen to what he said in the Bible and actually take it seriously. And, and, and think through what he said and the promises of that and think rationally about the reality that he's coming back. And speak about the hope that we have with our, with our friends and family and, and colleagues. If, if you're watching this with some Christian family and friends today, and you're kind of checking out the things of God, why don't you ask them, why is this so important to you? Uh, Why don't you encourage um, people to keep coming back to our next series that we're starting in January, where we'll be looking at the big questions of life. We'll have five key questions. What's the purpose of life on January the 2nd? Is death the end? Isn't God just a figment of our imaginations? Aren't all religions the same? And on January the 30th, why do bad things happen to good people? They're great questions. They're your questions. And we'll be answering those from God's word to see the hope that we have as we live out this reality, waiting for the second coming of Christ. But as we think through what we get here in God's word with this authority that he has spoken to us with, we have confidence, confidence to live, to make decisions, to, to work out our priorities in life with regard to the return of Jesus and what matters most, because Jesus is the authority. He's trustworthy. So let the future determine how you live in the present. Come to Jesus. Live for Jesus. Ask God to make 2022 a year that exists for his glory, for your godliness, and to see as many people as possible to come to know him. Use your resources and your time and your energy to see people understand the love of the Lord God who came and died for you and it will come back again before it's too late before God says that's enough, before the world stops spinning. 
the Apostle John finishes off the last book in the Bible, Revelation, with the words, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we long for that day. If you trust Jesus, will you let that day shape the way you live, looking forward to Jesus' second coming and things being put right? And if you don't yet trust Jesus, can I encourage you to check out the claims of the Bible, history, to see the reality of the future, that you can actually live with certainty about what matters most and come to him and trust him as the one who died in your place and rose again. How I long for Jesus to come back. And it's my prayer that you would too, and that we'd use every moment we have to live for him in godliness and in holiness and for his glory and for the good of the world around us that they might know Jesus. Why don't you join me as we pray that God would do that in us and through us. Let's pray. Father God, it is scary to think about the reality that the world won't just keep going on the way that we think it will. We're thankful this Christmas to be able to celebrate the first coming of your son, Jesus stepping onto the world stage. But we're also even more thankful that Jesus is coming back again and, and that evil will be punished and that you are remaking the world into a right creation, a good creation, where there is no mourning or crying or pain. We thank you so much for your incredible love, your patience that you haven't yet come back because there's still people who don't yet know you, who you are drawing to yourself. And we pray that you'd help each and every person here to live our lives with confidence because of the authority you've shown in speaking the word of the gospel to us through Jesus and through your word here in the Bible. Help us to live lives in response to your love that are godly, that are, that are living for you and holy and that are used to see more and more people come to know you, not for our good, but for yours and for theirs. We pray this in Jesus' great name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recording from Auckland EV. We hope you found it helpful. And if you'd like to find out more about Jesus or about church, we'd love to get in touch. So check out our website at aucklandev.co.nz for more details. Thanks for listening.